0: What you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. What you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films.
1: Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies.
0: This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello everyone
1: and welcome to Footcandle Films here on the Mesh.TV podcast network. My name is Alan Jackson. I am co-director and co-founder of the Footcandle Film Society and the annual Footcandle Film Festival. And just go ahead and repeat all that again for the co-host on the show, Chris Fry, also co-founder, co-director, everything I just said. Chris, how are you doing?
2: I am doing well. Looking forward, as always, to talking about movies.
1: Well, that is what we do on the show, as we do talk movies. For those of you just joining us for the first time, this is our movie review and discussion film, or podcast, I guess. Uh, I've already got films on the brain, so it just kind of slips right out there. <laughs> We uh, get together, we talk about two new releases that you can see either online or in theaters. And uh, we're going to be doing that today with our two new releases we'll be discussing. We'll be talking about the latest Netflix original film starring Adam Sandler. It is called Hustle, followed by a film starring Jim Broadbent and Helen Mirren called The Duke that you will be able to rent or watch uh, through different online streaming services as well. Uh, shortly, or I think I think now you can rent it. Yeah, I think it is available think online so. for rental. After we do those two reviews, though, we will be moving into our news section, and we will be talking about a couple of interesting uh, production updates on some upcoming films, things we want to share with the group, and then we'll close out the show as always with our recommendations. This is where Chris and I both bring a film. To the table that we want to recommend for you, Chris, I think we'll be going the traditional route of actually recommending a film that he thinks is worth checking out. (laughs) I'm going to take a different approach this week. I'm going to be recommending something, but it is recommending that you avoid. And I have very specific reasons for you trying to avoid this particular film. So (laughs) that's what we'll be doing in our recommendations a little bit later in the episode. But Chris, first, we got some new films to talk about, some ones that are, have been uh, recent releases. Let's go ahead and jump right into our first review, if we can. It is the basketball movie, NBA basketball recruitment film, uh, starring Mr. Adam Sandler. It is Netflix's Hustle. Taking me to see basketball or bare-knuckle boxing? We do everything. <laughs> I'm Stanley Sugarman. I'm a scout for the 76ers. So you're 22 years old because you can't be in the draft if you're over 22. Yes, I'm 22 years old. Who's this? It's my son. How old is he? He's 10 years old. Okay. Okay. Chris, I believe it was maybe one or two episodes ago. I don't remember how long ago it was that you actually solicited the trailer for Hustle for our trailer tapas section where we actually will play parts of trailers and just kind of talk about what we're seeing and what we think. And I remember, I think I remember the discussion from this fairly well that we showed this trailer for the film hustle. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is a film about a basketball scout who discovers a phenomenal street ball player while traveling in Spain, sees it as his opportunity to kind of get back into the NBA, which is, a I guess, okay way to describe the film that sums it up pretty well. Um, you and I both looked at the trailer. I have explained to you uh, at the time as well. I am a fan of sports movies. Generally. I feel like I can give sports movies. I can cut them a lot of slack Hmm. because I know that there's going to be some formula. I know there's going to be some certain things and actions and plot beats that have to hit to make a sports movie work. Right. But we both agreed that we were curious to see Adam Sandler's performance in this film because we've seen Adam Sandler play, in a uh, kind of a nice spectrum uh, of performances. There's the Adam Sandler performances that you and I are not fans of generally kind of the lowbrow comedy that he's done, especially when it comes to Netflix films. Right. Uh, But we've also admired him when he's gone and done something a little more interesting and daring uh, uncut gems, uh, the Meyerowitz stories, even going back to punch drug love with Paul Thomas Anderson. He knows how to get into some interesting film projects I think my prediction was, I felt like this one was going to be somewhere in the middle. This Mm -hmm. seemed like a kind of a middle ground, Adam Sandler. He's not super goofy. He's not, you know, not going for the cheap laughs, but it's also not the most provocative, interesting film uh, opportunity either. It's just kind of right there in the middle, Chris, given the fact that you and I talked about this a little bit, let me ask you, how did hustle come out in the end? Is this, is this leaning more towards those performances of Adam Sandler and roles that you kind of admire him for, did it slip closer to the, yes, this belonged in the Netflix library of Adam Sandler films? Or, uh, or did you come away with a different take? Where, where do you fall on this film?
2: Well, so I've, I don't know if I would say I've had the privilege because it wouldn't have been that. Um, I have watched some of his Netflix stuff that I think you've probably avoided. Things like Hubie Halloween, The Ridiculous yes. Six, yes. Murder Mystery, of which they're yes. making a sequel to Murder Mystery. Yes. Um, I have seen those. Um, why I don't, I don't know, I guess morbid curiosity, but I have seen it. So if that's on one end of the scale and then something like punch drunk love or uncut gems, like you're kind of setting it up is on the other end, I would definitely say, I wouldn't even say this falls in the middle. I would say it definitely falls like maybe an extra little bump towards the uncut gems side of the thing. Now, is this going to be winning Oscars? No, but it was, I thought it was just genuine enough And, yeah, there is a formula there. They don't try to do anything necessarily original. But um, I thought it was, you know, to use the words, it (laughs) often sounds like a condemning thing. It was fun. But but I thought it it was good. Basically, and I'm glad they acknowledged it. If they hadn't, this would have been a problem because I watched this with my wife and she actually commented (laughs) on it. And I was like, yeah, totally. And then they actually acknowledged it later in the film. It's basically a remake of Rocky with Adam Sandler using a basketball court instead of a boxing ring, but at one point, during like a training montage, they actually kind of acknowledge that. And I'm well, like, well, even taking okay, place in, in Philadelphia, in Philadelphia, because yeah. it's the Seventy Sixers mm-hmm. that right. he's recruiting for. So, you know, they do that, but then at one point, they actually literally acknowledge like the whole boxing. And you're like, okay, good, as long as you're not just trying to brush by that, because <laughs> mm-hmm. that would have been like that would have kind of made it a little bit more eye rolling, but they didn't. Yeah. So um, my experience was, you know, I liked it it's kind of some cinematic comfort food. I think if you like sports movies, I think you'll probably like this. And I feel like they could have leaned a little heavier into the comedy, which probably would have made this a little worse. The fact yeah. that they just kind of had some things, unfortunately, if you've seen the trailer or you listen to our show, or we aired a little bit of it. Some of the jokes that are in there were basically in the trailer. Mm-hmm. There's not a whole lot more than that, but they still, I don't know. They, they still work. So what was your, what was your take on?
1: Um, so I, as I mentioned, I do generally like sports movies. I find them to be very comforting for me. I enjoy them. I enjoy the, I enjoy sometimes the cliches. I enjoy sometimes the predictable plot. Um, all right. I'll, I'm going to give it this though. This is probably the most predictable <laughs> sports film plot line. I, I mean, I think I've ever seen, whereas I was honestly, every few minutes of the film, I'm like, okay, yeah, we're at about the 30 minute mark. Hmm. This is about to happen. Okay. This is going to be what is going to be the next issue. And yep, oh, there it is. That's that's exactly what I predicted. It is extremely predictable. It is extremely cliche in many of the ways. However, I agree with you that I think I really liked Adam Sandler in this role. Yeah. I really liked Bo Cruz, who was played by uh, O'Hanjo Higamandez, uh, who's an actual NBA player right um, I okay. liked him a lot. He I was, thought he was really good. he was charming <laughs> he was yeah. kind of effortless in his his performance yeah Queen Latifah played uh, played adam Sandler's wife. Um, right. I really liked the relationship that the two of them had in the film. I mean just I think most of the acting worked because normally in a film like this where you actually have real athletes normally the acting's cringe it's just cringeworthy it's <laughs> right. just you know they're not actors that's right. not their job right and luckily all of those uh, all those cameos and all those moments were kept pretty slight and kept pretty short and small everybody else I think was bringing a pretty good game to the table uh, pun intended um acting <laughs> sure. wise so I sure. mean I watched this film for the relationship between the Adam Sandler character and a bow Cruz the, mm-hmm. the the recruit the, sure. the the player he's he's recruiting and trying to bring to the nba uh adam sandler's playing stanley sugarman had to remember the name there and uh so again that relationship that that banter that 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 that, uh, comfort between them was really what worked for me in the film i i thought adam sandler came off as very effortless Mm -hmm. in this role even to the point where he's rattling off you know basketball jargon and coaching jargon i'm like He's kind of believable. He's got it. it. Right. I got it. I mean, I believe him. I believe that this guy like knows his stuff, you know, and uh, that's what just made the. I think his performance. I mean, He was fun. It was a fun performance. It's a. He's a Grizzle, kind of a a, a, a Hagrid. Uh, you know, he's been around for a while. He's sure. He's he's, he's you, you get the sense that he's had some issues in the past that have caused him to be a little off his career path. But people like him. He's he's kind of a well known. And, but he's also pretty passionate about what he wants to do. And it all comes across, but he's also able to really throw some barbs out there at the right times. And just, he can still be the Adam Sandler, but there's just enough of a sheen on him to say, all right, this is a guy who knows what he's doing. And, um, so all those key performances, all the lead performances, I thought were really good. Um, the issues I had with the film, again, I just, it was just almost overly predictable in my mind. Um, and I know sports movies use montages, sure. um,
2: training montages, training montages game montages. montages, game montages, game yeah,
1: montages. sure. I, I felt like this film went a little overboard on the montages. I gotta say, over the two of the almost two hour running time, I would be shocked if forty minutes of it wasn't montages, <laughs> uh, MTV style, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. music video style montages. It was a little tiresome at times. I felt like you didn't. I mean, we got the point after just a couple minutes, so it was a little overdone in some places. But um, the other issue I had with the film, the, quote, villain – yeah, Ben Foster. Playing oh,
2: it. you didn't like Ben Foster.
1: Oh, I like Ben Foster. Okay. I just think this was, I, mean, I always rail against mustache twirling villains in films because I think they're just kind of over the top. He started out, I thought, as an interesting character, Half first half of the film. He's an antagonist, but yet there seemed to be some level of at least professionalism between him and uh, Stanley Sugarman. But okay. as the film progressed, he honestly just turned into like... He is a- absolutely a villain, like where every oh, shot yeah. is yeah. him off to the corner sneering or, or making some catty comment. And it just <laughs> it just it just went too far. Hmm. There is a plot point. I won't give out the details, but there's a moment where Ben Foster's character, Vince, uh, actually has is on a talk show video, you know, recorded. You know, you see him in a TV show. Sure. And it was the most to me, it was the most pre- ludicrous plot point of a way to move the story forward. And again, I can't really, I don't want to explain cause I don't want to spoil the thing, but basically sure. he's, he's calling out Stanley Sugarman for something that, no talk show on a major network would ever get into the details of. There's no reason for him to be talking about this on this national TV show. Right. With a basketball player that nobody knows about up until this point. There's no reason they would be talking about him. Sure. But they do, and it has to do that to make the plot go to the next level where they need it to be. It Little things like that annoyed me really bad with this mm-hmm. film. But luckily the performances, the overall comfort, like you keep saying the word comfort, I agree. Yeah the comfort comfortableness of the film worked for me and yes it was enjoyable i did like it i just uh I, i'm waiting for a good sports film to really kind of say you know what we don't have to follow that cliche um was it what was the ben affleck one we reviewed
2: see okay. the way back was it the way way back
1: the way way back or maybe it's just the way I back think just it the, was way, the back. way
2: back you're right, you're right
1: which that was one that I thought did a decent job of breaking that, that that stereotype a little bit. I didn't enjoy that film as much as I enjoyed this one. Okay. But I do think formula-wise, it, it, it tended wise, to yes. break it a little okay. bit.
2: Okay. And see, I think, yeah. You're, yeah, that's an interesting comparison piece because the problem I had with that film was just so much that it was a Ben Affleck-like oh, yeah. centerpiece, you yes. know, and, and he's fine. It's not, but it just like, I don't know, it was kind of, I couldn't get out of my head that that was Ben Affleck. Right. If it had been anybody sure. else, it probably would have been I, fine. I'm with you. But I think in this film, (laughs) um, from the moment Ben Foster appeared on screen, I was like, oh, I know what he's doing. Because, Mm -hmm. I mean, that's just, that's kind of who he is in a lot of movies. And I like Ben Foster as an actor. and um, So I guess it didn't bother me just because I expected, I kind of knew this film was going to be a formulaic film. And I knew he was going to be in it. So I just kind of like, yeah, but I, I can see why that could be. That can be irritating. You look at the
1: contrivances that take place in this film. Oh, sure. I mean, yeah, of course. uh, Stanley Sugarman goes to Spain. He's supposed to be seeing this one player. Turns out he gets down there. Oh, that player is not going to play today. So Stanley's like, (laughs) what do I do? And he's like, looks down the street and just wanders right into a street ball game that just happens to have this amazing player, Bo Cruz, out there playing. Right. It's great. It's fun. I mean, it is so, it's, it's effortlessly enjoyable, but at the same time, you're just like, oh, okay, here we are. I know the deal. And of course, he's going to fall in love with this kid. He's going to want to like, take this kid all the way to the NBA. There are going to be setbacks along the way. There's going to be some issues. There's going to be a moment where you know, they're going to give up on his dream for a while, but then they got to find a way to get him back on it. it. It was just, it was all very, very by the numbers, check the boxes. But it was done in a way. That at least made it enjoyable to watch. Sure. And if it wasn't Adam Sandler in the role that he played, I, yeah, there was really, there would be no reason for me to watch this film. There's <laughs> nothing to get out of it. I don't feel like, I,
2: I think too, like, you know, I, I like this home, but I think we're basically on the same page. And I, yeah. I feel like one of the things too, is if you're going to be kind of, you know, formulaic and you're not going to really try to do anything new, that's fine. There's plenty of room for movies like that. Like we say, it was comfort food but my one knock and this is like something that you know take a drink or you know drum roll you can probably guess what i'm going to say the runtime i mean mm-hmm. it's almost 2 hours and there's a point which i won't give away you know a lot but there's a point where there's an event that the player goes to Bo goes to to try to like prove himself mm-hmm. and it's the combine mm-hmm. and there's an event that happens and something as simple as like <laughs> Um, and actually my wife, like there again, I was watching my wife and she actually said like, dude, this could, like, he could have turned it around by just helping a player up off the floor. Mm -hmm. Like, you you know, there's, it was like confrontation, trash talking and there's like this thing. And then he could have simply just like, because he, and like, and then it, I don't know, it just, it could have ended 20 minutes sooner. And it's like trimming that down or, you know, Hey, we really like the 90 minute movie. Yeah, (laughs) Just get down to a hundred or get down to 90. And because... You know, this isn't based on a true story. I mean, yes, there are scouts that do this kind of thing, but it's just a, you know, a sports film. So unless there's really a reason to push it, because nothing yeah. really unique happened in that extra runtime, I think it really
1: could have, yeah.
2: it could have made it much more well, dynamic, even, I guess. I agree.
1: And I'll even add to that, that same incident you're talking about. Sure. Not only was it, yes, it, it extended the film kind of a, a, a longer period of time than it needed to be, but... It was also kind of a ridiculous plot point too, okay? He he pulls a stunt during this combine because, you know, he gets rattled and he's right. getting frustrated and and somebody's jawing at him the entire time and he he acts out for a brief moment which happens a lot in the NBA. <laughs> you cannot tell me that all of a sudden he is shunned. Right, he's put on an enormous performance. He's one of the best players out there on I the mean, court. I they, mean, they
2: show like a rating, and it's like yes, he's one of the top two players. Yeah. And They're like you know ten people but he playing gets, or whatever
1: because he gets frustrated with another player and has a little quick incident. We're talking is, very quick, answer. and he is shunned. Right. Like he is on a plane going back to Spain. <laughs> I'm like, what just happened? Are you serious? Right. These people looking to make millions of dollars off right. these players are going to shun this player. Right. Because of a quick five second incident that happened that honestly was pretty justified. I mean, that kid, that other kid was really going to town on, on, on tearing him apart verbally. Right. So. Anyway, that's the little type of things I'm talking about, these little plot contrivances. It's like, oh no, we have to have the moment. Sure. Where he's gotta get back on the plane to go home. And we gotta make him think that everything's done. Oh no, but now something's <laughs> gonna change. We gotta get him <laughs> off the plane. You know, it's it's all that. Again, it was done in a, a fine way. It was sure. done in an enjoyable way, but it does when you really sit about think about the plot points, it's like, yeah, this is about as contrived as you could possibly make it. But if that had
2: been like the last contrivance instead of then having another thing that happened. Yeah, it's like, yeah, Yeah. it just was.
1: I mean, you just knew. Again, I'm trying not to spoil. I don't know if this is a spoiling type (laughs) of film. You know, When when we see him on the escalator going up to the airport uh, gate and then I'm like waiting. I'm like, okay, when is Sugarman's phone going to (laughs) ring? I know it's going to ring. There's going to be a (laughs) phone call coming in right now to get him to stop getting the player to get on the plane. I'm like, okay, when's the phone call coming? Oh, there's the phone ringing. Guess who it is? Oh, it's his buddy Leon. Oh, yes, of course. There's now a new opportunity. Yes, they want him back. I'm like, oh. (laughs) So it was just, it was a little much, but I still enjoyed it. I still had a good time with it. Hey, look, any film that puts Kenny Smith, one of my former (laughs) beloved Tar Heel players, in in an acting role. I was
2: surprised he was... A in it and in it as much as he yeah, was. Yeah, I mean he I mean, was like
1: the fourth or fourth lead on it or yeah, something like which that. Which I had, had no idea
2: that you know he.
1: He's one of the only actual basketball players who didn't play himself. Play himself, right? Right, right? Yeah. So, I mean, you've got Doctor and Doctor J was in here. He yeah. had. I mean, it's just, it, yeah. If you're a basketball fan, especially an NBA fan, yeah, there's there's stuff to enjoy here. It is a love letter to the NBA. Absolutely. Um, I mean, it's even produced by LeBron James. I mm-hmm. think is one of the producers. I mean, they know what they're doing with this. Sure, um, I enjoyed it. I did have a good time with it. It's just, just know that I, I did have to kind of force my eyes not to roll back in my head a few times, uh, just with some of the plot <laughs> points and contrivances that they threw out there. But um, uh, they they knew how to fo- follow the sports movie formula, and they followed it. With no variation, with no, there, there was no creativity involved in how do we make this? Uh, how do we take the sports uh, 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 formula and and spice it up a little bit? It's like, sure. nope, we got to stick to the recipe. This is it.
2: You know something? I, I'm I'm just curious about, and I think it all comes down to probably money, <laughs> um, but also, I, I think I guess money. But imagine this movie, but without real teams. Mm-hmm. OK, so imagine it being the Philadelphia Warriors or, oh, you know, or the like, Philadelphia Chargers yeah, or whatever you want to call 70, it. Yeah. And, you know, still having NBA players because you've got to have people who can really like make shots and mm-hmm. do all the incredible stuff they have in there. But they just use all fictitious teams and they use fictitious stadiums. and fictitious. Like, I wonder, I was just impressed as we were watching because I didn't know, like, I mean, I guess from the preview they do say 76ers, but mm-hmm. just that it's so inside basketball. I was kind of impressed. I'm like, how how did they get this? How did they get yep. this kind of access? I mean, Adam Sandler, yeah, I mean, people know who he is. He did Uncut Gems, which used the Celtics. And that, but that was, like, done as if it was in the past. So it was more of like a – you know mm-hmm. what I mean? It wasn't like current day. This is yep. you know shot as if this is happening right now, like present day. Because, I mean, why well, – it's not completely flattering of the nba because it is not all completely. about money and taking advantage of people and and the players like i mean there's you know Why trash you talking going on
1: talking, taking advantage of players i mean it was giving a lot of kids and a lot of young adults really promising opportunities where i think it was a little There was one comment, one negative
2: stuff about ownership. And that's like, well,
1: well ownership, there was one person negative. I mean, you know, everybody else was coming across (laughs) very, very good. And we had one person, Ben Foster's character. That was the negative owner. And by the end of the film, that's rectified, you know, well, and I will say,
2: okay, so so I said the one negative thing about runtime. If I'm looking for a second thing, I liked Ben Foster in it, even though, like you say, he was kind of mustache twirling but the way he just is like yeah. suddenly gone, I, I find to be completely unrealistic. It's like a
1: throwaway line at the very last right. shot. And you're is like, like
2: huh. Oh, well, you know,
1: something's <laughs> changing. I'm like, ah, oh, yeah, okay. There you go. That's how the NBA comes out of this looking like, no, no, we deal with, we deal with problematic, you know, problematic issues. Right. And like I'd, this. yeah, yeah. I'd, it was yeah. a bit, it, I, I don't, there was one comment. I don't know if you picked up on it, but, uh, the scene where, um, gosh, I think, uh, Adam Sandler's character w- was bringing Bo Cruz to the combine. Yes. Getting him out of the car. And there was like a mob of people. there talking to him. Yes. And one of them was the guy who was the host of the TV show that I mentioned before. Where oh,
2: and Adam the, Sandler like calls him out. Was,
1: yeah, he calls him out. And he's just like, well, what are you doing to these kids? You know, it's like all this stuff. I'm like, okay, that was a little insightful. That was a little bit of a, yeah, the media and the attention and all this that were hyping these kids up is not good Hmm. or because they had one incident years ago. That's now on their record. Now we are trying to, we make them really, we make them penalized for it now. Mm -hmm. I thought that was interesting. I wish they got a little deeper with that. The fact that the media and all this was actually causing some damage to a kid's potential to like do something really good with his life. Um, And again, I, you know, the fact that everything hinged on the fact that this, this guy did one thing, wrong right five years ago right that's still there and again i'm thinking to myself okay but i know so many of these nba players have had incidences have had some problems as well but doesn't seem to be affecting them but why they let it affect him i don't know as much in the story they, because they needed the story they needed to, do to it. yeah, yeah it was right. a plot point sure so again i i am giving a positive review of this film but i will say there's just there's a lot you have to kind of swallow with this a lot you have to just kind of let float by you as sure. you're going plot wise uh, but if you enjoy the sports cliches, if you like the general idea of a sports movie and the beats that it always follows, yeah, you're going to get those absolutely in this well, film, and it's it's done in a very fun, enjoyable way. And
2: I feel like you know, we were, I was kind of slagging on some of the Adam Sandler straight to Netflix movies that he's put out, um, but I I feel like this is this is a good one. I mean, he yeah. didn't write it, he didn't direct it, but obviously he produced it. And yeah. He's one of the, the no, main it's, stars. It's,
1: it's a good movie,
2: and I feel like this could have gone to the theater and done probably decently maybe um, because yeah. it has a lot of, you know, yeah. basketball, like put it out around the finals, which is when this came out, you know? Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know. I, I think it's good for Netflix that they have it. Um, you know, I, if all Adam Sandler movies that were released on Netflix could be this good, I oh. think no, no, <laughs> it'd be no, sure. in a completely I, I, different yeah you know, mindset. So.
1: Yeah. I knew within the first five minutes of this movie, just Adam's ca- getting to see his character and kind of the way he, he was, uh, he was he was talking with people I'm like yeah I'm on board I, I got it I, I like this guy I already like his character I like what he's doing here so um, yeah I agree hustle it's good just just uh just know what you're getting into know what you're going <laughs> to sure. be seeing uh, check your brain out a little bit on some of the the plot points and some of the contrivances there but otherwise it's a enjoyable movie really made solid for me by Sandler Queen Latifah and by gosh I'm gonna butcher the name again I'm so bad at this uh, Juancho, um, Hernan, Hernan, G- Hernan- Yeah. Hernan- yeah. Sure. And, uh, those three really, I feel like make it work as a really, uh, enjoyable film there. So, okay. That is hustle. It is on Netflix. So that's the great news. You got Netflix. It's right there right at the click of a button. We are both saying it's worth watching, especially if you're a sports movie fan or an Adam Sandler fan. um, yeah, I think those are those are the two use cases where I think you'll find a lot of a lot of enjoyment out of this. Sure. Okay. So let's move on to our second review, Chris. That was the film Hustle. Now we're going to move on to the film The Duke.
0: Will the defendant please stand? Kempton Bunton. You were charged that on the 21st of March 1961, you stole from the National Gallery a priceless portrait of the Duke of Wellington by Francisco Jose de Goya.
2: Not very good, is it? Tagged on the film's poster as a priceless true story, the Duke tells the story of a 60-year-old taxi driver named Kempton Bunton, Bunton who's in, who in 1961 steals Goya's portrait of the Duke of Wellington from the National Gallery in London. Alan, how familiar were you with this historical event, and did you find this telling of the tale entertaining?
1: I was not familiar with this story at all. Okay. I knew nothing about it. I knew nothing about this movie before <laughs> we, we basically, we, uh, we elected to show it at our screenings last week. Sure. Um, that being said, I, 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 the film is an enjoyable film. Um, not a lot more to go into than beyond that for me. Okay. I will say I, I thought it was a fine film. Ah, um, there's that word. Again, I'm going to sound <laughs> a very similar to how I said with, with Hustle, is I think it fits a certain uh, type of film that I think you know people find as kind of their comfort food film. It is a simple story. It's relatively British. Simple. It's British. Right. It stars two um, actors that, you know, many people, Jim Broadbent and uh, Helen Mirren. Right. Which are automatically draws right away. Yep. And they are both very good in this film. Yeah. So I'm, I'll give them that. Uh, the story is a charming story. Uh, fairly low-stake story where it was just made kind of pleasant and simple, and that's the best way I could describe the film. It's a very simple, pleasant film that was fine. I, uh, I, I, you know, I, I try to wrestle with like what to basically review this on, and, and it's uh. I did. I enjoyed the performances. I enjoyed the overall conceit of the film and kind of the the overall big picture message, I guess you get from the hearing this real life story. I did feel like the movie and it's partly because of the nature of the story. A lot of it is a very telling, not showing, listening to a lot of people just talk about the Mm. incident or what's happening or why they did it or why they didn't do it or so forth. So a lot of just talking about what's happening as opposed to there's not a lot happening as much. But again, I get that because the, the whole uh, framework of the film is you're, you're doing some of it in retrospect. A lot of it takes place in a courtroom, so you're having to recall back to why things were done. Right. Um, so it really just left up to the actors to put on a good show, and luckily they do. So, I mean, I'm I'm going to say I'm giving this film a positive review. I'm just saying, once again, kind of like what I said with Hustles. Like, I feel like it's just they knew what beats the hit. They knew how to tell the story in a very – uh non-confrontational non-jarring way make it as palatable for a wide audience as possible make it nice and simple and uh I, I, we're using the word comfort food again it's kind of that same idea <laughs> right here as well um i got a couple of little minor things but overall overall yes it was enjoyable i just there's not a lot there for <laughs> me to go beyond that so what about you chris what's your what's your thoughts? well here? it
2: helped it helped me that um the element of just based on true story. And then after the film, uh, because we did screen it for our society, someone was like hitting Wikipedia pretty hard and pulling up. Cause I was like, you know, it's interesting. It says based on true story, you never know. And they were like saying all these facts of stuff that came from the film that were all true. And I was like, really? And I was, like, <laughs> I kept kind of being astounded because the more they said that there were, this film was pretty factual, the more I was just kind of astounded that I'd never heard of the incident before, mm-hmm. because I've watched documentaries on Netflix about art heists and things like that. So that just always kind of interests me. Um, mm-hmm. and the fact that this was in this, you know, some, and then I've watched a lot of like oceans 11 where they say, you know, but this is like, no, this, this happened. Right. And it so that just kind of blew my mind that I'd never heard about it. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the performances like you say they they help anchor it and yeah mm-hmm. there was nothing unusual but actually there was a cur- not a there was something that happened in the film that I was kind of surprised that I didn't see coming and then it was kind of a pleasant kind of surprise for me I mean yeah things were kind of this hap- the mm. the key character Kempton yep. Bunton, is kind of a I mean he's a taxi driver and that's what he does for a living but he's also has these, like, he's he's kind of in a little bit of an oddball.
1: He's very um, eclectic, very, uh, fancies himself a journeyman with just a lot of different interests and things he's passionate about or wanting to, to and, do. And
2: he he is kind of like an activist in his own mind. Yeah. Like he, one of the things which I'd never thought about because I don't live in England, but he refuses to pay taxes mm-hmm. for the BBC network. And yeah. you know, it's like, he makes it so that his TV actually doesn't get that channel because he like ripped something out so that it can't get it. And he feels like, you know, you he, interestingly to me, his other point was for veterans, they should get it for free Mm -hmm. because it's a, it could be a cure for loneliness, Mm -hmm. which I thought was kind of a sweet kind of poignant point. Um, And then you find out at the end of the film spoiler that Finally, they did make it free for mm. veteran or people over like seventy, I think it was, but it took as long as two thousand to do that. Mm. <laughs> so it was like, wow, that yeah, it's kind of crazy. but um, so just so many things were actually based on something fact if this if this had been a completely fictional film about stealing to prove a point because that was mm. the whole thing was. Stole a painting because it had been bought by the government. Meanwhile, he feels like they could have better spent that money helping people. Mm -hmm. If this is just something that's a fictitious film, then, yeah, you're like, well, nice sentiment, but whatever. But the fact that this was actually based in reality, I found to be refreshing. Plus, like I was saying, the narrative structure of the film, you start with a trial, then you flash back – then you end with the trial, but have a little bit of a reveal about how the heist was committed. Mm-hmm. I thought that actually elevated it just from being a typical connect the dots film. Mm. If that makes any yeah. sense.
1: So. I, I'm with you. The, the actual real story behind this film is it's pretty, it's interesting. And I love the impact it actually ultimately does have on, you know, Britain and and, and society there. You know, But for me, I also, I, I feel like a film kind of, has to do something with a very interesting story to make it an interesting film. And I feel like my enjoyment of this movie is really just hearing the real story, Mm -hmm. you know, and watching two great performers perform. So, that's my only hang up with it is it's just, you know, I think we've even asked the question before, does it work better as a documentary where you just see the real story or do you need to see it acted out and told does acting it out and sharing it in a narrative structure, do anything to elevate uh, the enjoyment of the story, the appreciation of the story here. If it wasn't for the two lead actors and the performances, I think that they're both extremely capable of giving Probably mm-hmm. not really, but It was just on that edge for me of, yes, it was just, just enjoyable enough as a narrative feature, um, to work, but, um, but yeah, I just, okay, let's, let me, let me give this example. So this is, this is by a director of this film, a director, unfortunately, sadly passed away before he got to see the actual film completed. Uh, the uh, director is Robert, Robert Mitchell and Notting Hill, um, my cousin Rachel and during love, several films he's made over the years. So he's a pretty, fairly prolific director. He
2: did a lot of TV and theater
1: too. He I did. I'm um, trying to think of some other ones. The Mother, uh, Hyde Park on Hudson. I remember that one. That was the one with Bill, Bill Murray. Murray. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did a lot of those films. So he's been making films for a while in TV as well. Sadly passed away uh, before this film was finished. But you know, the film, there's some, they try to drop in like, there's a one, uh, several moments where they use like a split screen kind of thing just to try to give it some visual flourish and it and it just i said it that
2: worked for me because that's it, very period that's 1960 james bond and 70s like french connection type mm. thing the diopter split screen like brian de palma like that that worked yeah okay that worked
1: i i just i didn't see it that it was used especially at the end at one point, and it was very jarring and just seemed like it was trying to add style to a film that didn't need it um, I feel like the thought that, again if you're gonna let the story be the driver of your film let the story be the driver and I think it, it felt like any of the visual flourishes that try to get mixed in were very sparring and just kind of more dropped in just to try to juice it up a little bit and it didn't need it hmm. um, so overall I, I like the the real story I like the way it was told in the film I thought the acting was was fine um, could yeah. I wish it had done been a little more always in a film like this, but it was a good, again, we're going to use that phrase. It was a good comfort food film and I think it worked. And more than anything, I was more interested in the true story to read up on it afterwards and learn more about what actually happened. Right. And to find out that the film is pretty darn reliable in it's telling of it. It didn't do a lot of extra adding a lot of extra drama to it unnecessarily. So
2: well, I, yeah. So, Interestingly, I think I like this film more than you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I liked The Little Flourishes. And I think if it had, you know, it might have made for an interesting documentary. And I, I guess if that was to pick one thing, I would say, well, yeah, I wish I could have learned a little bit more about Kempton Bunton himself, because apparently he was very interesting. I mean, you do learn a little bit about him, but this is a very compressed time frame. Mm-hmm. And apparently something we learned, after I learned afterwards what that they were in possession of that painting a lot longer than what it seems like. Mm -hmm. Like in the, in the film, it seems like almost they had it for maybe like a couple of weeks or month or something. And that's not the case. So much more interesting to me. And, but I guess you just leave that for documentary because, because they didn't put all that stuff in there that maybe they felt like they couldn't dramatize effectively. This film was 95 minutes. Mm,
1: <laughs> so, nice, so it hit the crisp fly. So it hit the uh, it hit the sweet spot. movie spark. length meter.
2: Yeah, because it's like instead of trying to pad it or do, they're like, "Nope, we're going to go in, we're going to tell an effective story, we're going to keep it." And the the flourishes that you mentioned that you felt like were kind of distracting, they worked for me. Um Come. I think it was their attempt on what I'm assuming this is a smaller budget film. I think probably the majority of the budget was spent on getting the actors. Yes. Um it helped set a time period because a lot of those split frames were like archival footage from a 1960s London. Mm-hmm. So instead of trying to recreate that and pay a bunch of money for sets, they just used footage from back. So I, I thought it was a clever way to try to put that in. And also I'll, we'll call out one more thing that um, we haven't mentioned yet. Mm-hmm. You mentioned the performances of the two leads, I really thought – I really liked Matthew Good's performance in, in this. Yeah. And he is a lawyer that comes in, which they call him different things in England. But basically, he's like the defense attorney for mm-hmm. Bunton. And I liked him because he's a name of somebody that I recognize, but I don't necessarily know his name. Mm-hmm. But when he showed up, just his charisma of being kind of like this very polished you know, d- attorney that can come in there and just kind of like – kind of knows the game, knows the system. And he like – just recognizing him as a a known quantity. I was like, Oh, this is going to be good. And sure enough, the way he like played things, was very effective and I thought it really, I thought it really worked. It was like a little bit of extra star quality to make the trial stuff not seem as boring as it could have been. So,
1: well, and yes, I agree. I thought Matthew Goode was, was, was good. And, um, (laughs) I think, um, back to my comment about, would this have been a better documentary or not? I think Mm. for a, Understanding of facts and what actually happened and how it happened. Yes, a documentary would have served it well. What you would not have gotten in a documentary, though, is what was probably, for most people, is going to be the most enjoyable part of this film, which is uh, Kempton Button's testimony in court. Okay. You know, where that's where something, where a, te- a documentary would not capture that or make that as enjoyable. Because he is an enjoyable person to listen to and watch there.
2: And I learned, there again, mm-hmm. doing research after the film, that apparently a lot of the stuff that he said in his speeches and his kind of responses to the questions that he was being asked, that was taken pretty much verbatim for the transcripts. So So it's like pretty impressive that he would like say the things and he would answer the questions the way he did, because that was pretty much legitimate. Yeah, So I thought that was interesting.
1: No, look, I'm, I'm giving a positive review. I think you are a little more positive than me, but I thought it was fine. I, I, I wish it had kind of either elected to keep it, um, I don't know. Keep it straight. Keep it, uh, keep it very, very focused on story and nothing else and very simple. Or if you are going to expand on it and try to do something a little more creative with the film, go for it. Um, and again, it, the nature of the story just does involve a lot of telling. So you're already listening to just a lot of dialogue explaining what's happened, it is a why film. it's happened, sure. and where it's going. So that being said, it was, it was good. It was good. I'll give it that. I do think it's worth watching. Okay. I think it's a worth, worthwhile film. But um, I, I'm not. Gonna, it's not going to make any of my best of lists anytime soon. But it was a fine film for what it was.
2: Fair enough. And mm-hmm. we determined that it's not streaming yet. But not it streaming won't
1: be yet. Soon. It will it should be soon. It had a very very small limited theatrical run. Uh, but as of the time of this recording, it's not available online for streaming or rental yet. But should be very very soon. So I'd still encourage people to check it out if they if this, this if this review gets you all interested in, in seeing the film. Uh, It will be available to check out here before too long, I would imagine. All right, Chris. So that's our reviews of The Duke and of Hustle. Now we're going to kind of take a quick little moment break. We come back. We're going to be hitting a couple of news items about some upcoming movie films, uh, movie productions that we want to comment on. And then we'll also be ending the show with our recommendation for the episode. Again, Chris will be recommending a film to check out. I will be recommending one to avoid. So stay tuned. You're watching Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.tv, and we'll be right back.
0: This podcast is sponsored by Jackson Creative, a custom communication agency located in downtown Hickory, North Carolina, specializing in online content creation. To learn more, visit TheJacksonCreative.com. Jackson Creative, we tell your story.
1: All right, welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on the Mesh.TV podcast network. Uh, Chris, you and I like to talk about some news of movies that are being made or starting work on or underway in production that we're curious about. We maybe want to kind of follow. We want to track from time to time and see how they're going to end up. So I've got two productions I want to comment on during our news section here okay. that I'm familiar with and I'm intrigued for different reasons with both of these productions. Okay. Okay, So let's talk first about the film. It is a film called Maestro. Now, let's give a little background about this film. So Maestro is going to be a film all about esteemed Broadway composer, Leonard Bernstein. Okay. okay. Now, Leonard Bernstein, you may recognize uh, West Side Story. He did the original music uh, for that. Several other Broadway productions he's been involved with. I mean, you know, it's just a, it's a very, very big name. Uh, this was a film that Steven Spielberg was attached to direct at one point. And Steven Spielberg had targeted as someone to play Leonard Bernstein was going to be uh, a Mr. Bradley Cooper. Gotcha. Bradley Cooper from A Star is Born, from, gosh, what else? The Hangover films. Silver Linings Playbook. Silver Linings Playbook. Yeah. Now, A Star is Born was interesting for him because he both starred in it and directed it. So that was right. the, the remake of the uh, The story that's been, I think, remade three or four times now, but he he did (laughs) that one uh, with Lady Gaga just a a few years ago. So Bradley Cooper was being tapped to to star as as Bernstein in this film. Uh, He turned him down said, nope, I don't want to do it. I actually just want to direct films right now. Spielberg eventually walked away from the project or abandoned it. And Bradley Cooper picked it up to become the director of Maestro about this gentleman and also to play him in the film as well. So Bradley Cooper will be just like in stars born will be starring and directing himself as Leonard Bernstein in maestro. And, uh, what's that? Gotcha. Yeah. So he's also going to have Carrie Mulligan playing Bernstein's wife, okay. which I like Carrie Mulligan a lot. So I think that's going to be very interesting. Uh, and in the movie is going to be detailing his life over many, many different ages. So, there's already been some photographs circulating over the internet of Bradley Cooper as kind of a much older version of Bernstein, um, probably like in his sixties you know, and seventies, right. and yeah, the dude looks just like him. I mean, I'll tell you, <laughs> it's it's an impressive makeup job. It's, uh, but I got a feeling we're going to be seeing Bradley Cooper in just like various stages of of makeup and and attire throughout this film, right? Playing uh, playing this real life person, uh, just. Me describing it to you there. What's your thoughts? You got any interest in this? Is this something you're looking forward to now, or or not?
2: I mean, I do like Bradley Cooper. Um, I think this is a Netflix production, so I guess my yes, um, I'll get to see it for free because <laughs> yeah. I already have you know a Netflix subscription. I, I'm a little wary of it because it is he's directing and starring in it, and it seems like it's kind of a Maybe a bit of a vanity piece, maybe, because mm. he's directing Ann If he was just directing it or he was starring in it, okay. But the fact that I don't know, and he may be a producer on it as well, I don't know. I'm
1: sure he probably is. So
2: yeah. I don't know. I and it's obviously gonna be a biopic, so those those can be kind of you know, like colored by numbers or you know, connect the dots. So I don't know, but I don't really know that much about Leonard Bernstein. So I don't know. I guess I'm lukewarm interest. The the other thing which makes it so that it was a topic on our show was they did release those photos and automatically there's just all this like, which, you know, depending on the timing of when it comes out, nothing but Oscar bait. So that's the other thing that makes me kind of leery. Not only is it a biopic, which I'm like, well, okay, but just like. Depending on the timing of its release and the fact there's already buzz like, oh, he's going to get an Oscar because he's directing, he's starring and look at how much he looks like him. And you're like, well, OK. Um, so that makes me a little leery. Whereas as opposed to something like Elvis that's coming out it's a biopic. Yes, I know who Elvis is. <laughs> but just because it's done by Baz Luhrmann and I think he's going to try something. And apparently people are really one way or the other on that movie, Mm -hmm. which to me, that makes it that much more exciting. Either people love it or absolutely hate it. So it's like a chopped up mess. I'm like, okay, but if anybody can do chopped up mess, it's Baz Luhrmann. So I don't know. So I don't know. It's, I'm I'm leery of it. How do you, how do you feel about the whole?
1: Uh, you know, I'm looking forward to it. I think it's uh, I mean, yes, it is absolutely tailored to be Oscar bait. Um, I mean, that, that is kind of your crowning. If you're a, a actor slash director, mm-hmm. you put yourself in a movie where it's following the life of a very of a of a actual real life person. Right. That involves a lot of uh, a degree of mimicry, a degree, you know, a lot of wardrobe, a lot of costuming, a lot of makeup. I mean, yeah, that's kind of the the holy grail for like an actor director. It's like this is what I'm going to do is I'm going to play this real life person, big long story. I'm going to follow him through decades of his life. I have to look <laughs> like him all the way through. Yeah, it's that is what you that's what you strive to do. I think in that in that actor director role. Right. So that's what they're doing, and um, I, I'm curious to see how it is. Um, I hope it turns out well. I mean, I like Bradley Cooper. I thought *Stars Born* was really good. His version of it.
2: And that's an example of something that. I went in kind of like, okay. Yeah. And I came out going, well, that's actually pretty good. Even though it was basically, it was a remake. Well, it sure. still managed to. Well, entertain I, me. I so. really
1: liked Bradley Cooper in it as well. Sure. I think he was sure. really impressive in that film. So yeah, I'm, I'm on board. I want to see what happens. Plus Carrie Mulligan. I really like her. So knowing she's involved with it, I think is a good sign. We haven't seen her in anything since us. Uh, 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 Promising young woman, right?
2: Hmm. I don't believe so. Yeah, so I don't think be of anything to that it. would be great yeah. for
1: that. All right, so that is Maestro. Uh, there's a date on it. Let me see when that date is. I forgot to. Write is it coming that down. out
2: in 2022, or is it going to be a? Twenty twenty
1: three release. Um I do not know. <laughs> I'm looking to see
2: I mean I don't know like what if they're says. just now coming out with production pictures, then yeah, it'll be twenty twenty three. Okay.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's just yeah, twenty twenty three. So we've got at least a year. Gotcha. Or close to a year on this to see it. So not Oscar bait for this year. No, but possibly <laughs> for fall twenty twenty three. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay, Chris. I know you know about this. Okay. I don't know how much of the audience knows about this. This actually did not make as many ripple waves in the in the film news as I expected it to. It got like some buzz for like a day or so. And then I haven't really heard anybody talk about it. Unlike the original movie that this is going to be following up on. Um, Todd Phillips has revealed there is going to be a Joker sequel. Which was
2: kind of debated about and people kicked around after the first one because of how much money it made and yeah. Joaquin Phoenix. Honestly, I
1: kind of just thought since it has been a while since that movie came out. And normally if, normally if you're going to talk sequel to a film, you hear about it shortly after it becomes a big hit. Right. The fact that we hadn't heard anything made me think, Nope, this is just a one-off film. That's fine. And I think you and I even commented that we were fine with it being a one-off film. It did not need to be leading into any kind of, Franchise, we definitely didn't want it to touch any other DC (laughs) comic book universe movie at all. Right. But Todd Phillips has just in the last week revealed that they are working on a new Joker sequel. Now it is, and it is a
2: sequel to the, his first film that was the Joker. Oh yes. Our Joker.
1: Because even the way he announced it is by putting up an Instagram post that showed the cover of the screenplay. And then another shot of Joaquin Phoenix reading said screenplay. So oh, it's wow. already been announced. I mean, that's basically so he's, he's attached to it. That is the insinuation. Gotcha. There's not been like any official press release. There's not been any details. It's just Phillips putting up on his Instagram saying, here we are, here we go. And you see a cover of the script. You see a subtitle, which we'll talk about in a moment. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm curious. And then the you see another shot. You see another photograph, Joaquin Phoenix reading the screenplay. So you can kind of put all the dots together and realize that's what they're, that's what they're basically announcing. Hmm. Um, so the, it's going to be, uh, uh, the, the, the script is written by Todd Phillips and Scott Silver, who was collaborating on the first film. So it is very much a continuation. Same writer, same director, same lead star. Um, the film is titled Joker. Uh, oh gosh, I took French in high school, but this is still going to be tough. <laughs> Joker, Folly, Folly Adieu. Folie Adieu. Okay. okay. That is what's printed on the cover as like the subtitle of, okay. the, of the film. Roughly translated, that is saying shared madness. So that what people are all insinuating with the title shared madness is that it's going to be, it's, it's, it's typically a layman's term for shared delusional disorder. Whether that's commenting on at the end of the first film, if you recall, like so many people We're like following the Joker, kind of becoming like his disciples almost kind of adopting his philosophy. Mm -hmm. Whether it's going to be keying into that, whether they're trying to talk about Batman, whether they're trying to talk about some other connection to the bigger superhero universe. I don't know, but that's gotten people all questioning online. No plot has been announced. No, anything. That's just really, it's just a cover of the screenplay subtitle, Joaquin Phoenix reading it. that's what we got. So Chris, knowing this now, what are your thoughts?
2: You know, there was so much drama around the, around that original film, you know, people upset about how it seemed to champion the subject matter or, you know, just all this different stuff. Um, Joaquin Phoenix, I thought he gave a good performance in the film. Obviously Mm -hmm. he won an Oscar for it. Um, yeah, I just don't know. Um, I guess if Todd Phillips is going to do a sequel, then it makes sense to have Joaquin Phoenix.
1: Oh, yeah. be a part of it. Mm-hmm.
2: I am curious because he's just such an interesting individual in himself that he would agree to do a sequel because that would be a first for him. Is that correct?
1: Let's think here. Has he done a sequel to anything?
2: I mean, they didn't make a sequel to gladiator. They nope. didn't make, you know, I'm trying to think of his other
1: like bigger, movies. bigger
2: movies that he's done. Nope. And I can't, I can't think, think of any. Sequel. Nope. I not so either. To me, Let's that's kind a... of interesting that he would be, up for doing a Grant, he won an oscar for it so i guess yeah. he's kind of you know um a, another to make another standalone joker movie that doesn't have any reference to batman i think would be quite a feat because yeah. i think you can have the or which this was interesting because it's an origin story of a bad guy you don't have batman in there at all but then to have a second film that's just more of like a bad guy running around, <laughs> I don't. That, yeah, that would be really. Well, I think that would be really complicated. But, I, but I and I wonder if there's any pressure, which means Matt Reeves gets dumped. Yeah. Um, to tie it in with Robert Pattinson, the Batman, which was obviously really, really successful as well.
1: Well, but that's a um, tough, tough thing to hoe right there as well, because I mean it's, you introduced. Another version of the Joker in the Batman oh, franchise. That is true. So what do you do? I mean, it sounds like DC is just saying, "Look, let's sh- we're just going."
2: But if it's shared madness, both of these people could be Joker.
1: Well, it's true. See, that <laughs> is kind of the premise that the first Joker movie set out is that we don't really know if this guy this is, the Joker. is the one that fights the Batman. You know, right. in the future, we don't know. We know that they did make the allusions to the Waynes. We actually saw, you know, the Wayne family. We saw the the mansion, but. That's all we saw. Um, and so we know that there's a connection there. I just – I don't know. I agree with you. I think if they were able to pull this off and just it just tangentially lives in that universe, but it's really its own story. That would be really that's interesting. interesting. I, yeah. I'm actually okay with that. I actually, that's part of the reasons I like the standalone Joker. because I, I like the fact that it didn't feel the need to have to be this tie-in. I know there were some groans at the end of the film, some people that – you saw the theater, you saw the Wayne family walking out, and it's kind of this you know implied assumption that there's a connection now between them mm-hmm. and you know did it need that? Not necessarily. I think the film worked even without that, but um you'll be curious to see how that does knowing that there's two different tracks now for the Batman Universe going on at d c at Warner Brothers. you got the Matt Reeves version, which was. Was introduced in Have that they film.
2: Announced, so we just talked about how usually after the film comes out and is successful within a sh- relatively short yeah. time frame, they announce a sequel. Have they said that they're making a second I haven't heard that? an
1: official announcement. Okay. Of that. Yeah. Huh. So anyway, I think they're just throwing a bunch of balls up in the air and say, hey, we got something good over here. We got something good over here. Yeah, they're kind of, they overlap a little bit, but that's okay. We're just going to let them ro- roll and do their own thing, which I'm hmm. I'm okay with. Yeah, Um, I mean, I'm very curious because I I, I did like the Joker film, even despite all the kind of backlash it started to get eventually and some of the hate on it. And, you know, a lot of film critics, I think, really just didn't care for it. I personally did like it. I did like it because of Joaquin Phoenix's performance. Mm -hmm. Um, So we'll see what it goes with that. So uh, I'm I'm curious about this film for sure. So
2: you said no script details. There's also no dates attached to anything. Mm -hmm. Okay.
1: No, it really was the most cryptic Instagram post. <laughs> it truly was. Here's so a photograph would, of the script, and here's a photograph of Joaquin Phoenix reading the script. And it would make it would got. make
2: uh, the Joker proud to know that it was that cryptic. Probably. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's really all there is out there. So, okay. Well, that is our two news, two two interesting projects: Maestro and a Joker sequel. Both I'm very curious about. Uh, it sounds like we'll definitely be seeing the Maestro sooner. Sure. Because it's already working on. Joker still very early. It could be a, could be a 20 late 2023 could be a 2024 film at this point. I'm not really sure. All so, right. all right. That is the end of our news for this episode. A couple of items to share with you there, but now we move on to the final piece of the show. Our final segment of the episode where Chris and I give our recommendations of films to consider checking out. And, Historically, Chris, you know, a couple things to kind of let everybody in on the on the the back side, you know, kind of the, the administrative side of what we do on the show. <laughs> sure. Typically, we try to have both of us show talk about a film that we've either recently seen or caught up with or got to a chance to catch and really want to recommend to our audience. You 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 watch more films than I do. So I've struggled at times with my recommendation. I've even thrown in, I think sometimes I'll throw in a TV series. I think think I've I've actually done a TV show. Have you done that? Okay. Yeah. I've thrown in some random things sometimes just to try to try to keep me current and keep, (laughs) keep up with you. Sure. Um, I don't, and I think I have given a negative recommendation before, maybe at least one other time. Okay. Um, but that is what I'm going to be doing today is giving a strong recommendation against (laughs) a film. But let's go ahead and let's get to the positives first, Chris. Let me, let me hear your recommendation of today's episode. So
2: this will counteract probably some of my typical things where I talk about run times, you know, Mm -hmm. both films today, I mentioned run times on both of them. Well, I'm about to recommend a film with an 187 minute runtime. Oh,
1: wow. Okay. So
2: for those doing the math, this is over three hours. Mm -hmm. Um, But I didn't have to sit in a theater to do this. It's on Netflix. So that helps because that means I can pause it for snacks or bathroom breaks. Um, the film is RRR, uh, which right. stands for Rise, Roar, and Revolt. This is a – I had thought it was a Bollywood um, film, but then I came to be corrected when I logged it on Letterboxd because somebody was <laughs> kind of commented me. It was like, actually, truthfully, this is what they call a – tollywood film which apparently means it's from south the southern part of india apparently mm. there's a difference from okay. bollywood which is more central you know but anyways i had thought it was a bollywood film um but that kind of makes sense on why it's a huge runtime because their films tend to be rather extended sure. so you get okay. the most bang for your buck when you go see it in the theater but this is a fictional history of two legendary revolutionaries journey away from home before they begin fighting for their country in the 1920s So it focuses a lot on these two people that they're on two different sides because the British come there and they're kind of occupying the country. And, you know, one is more of a kind of comes from a small community and he's trying to help his community, whereas the other guy kind of signs up for the British and there's a lot of tension there, but they become best friends. Um, as with, you know, most like Bollywood pictures that you would hear of or think of, they do have the elaborate dance numbers and the, some of the action sequences but this was a lot of fun. You recommended many episodes ago, a mm-hmm. uh, Bollywood film, and I hadn't caught up with it.
1: Right, Krish. Um,
2: And now that I've seen this, I'm like, okay, if I can watch that from the comfort of my own home, at some point I am going to catch up with that because, yes. you know, I, like I commented, I reviewed this or saw it and wrote a review on Letterboxd and I was like, you know, this is the Bollywood bromance. I didn't know I needed. Yes. It's a bit cheesy. It's a bit ridiculous. It's a bit overly melodramatic, a bit messy, a bit overlong, but so what? It was also a blast because it was just, it was, it was fun. Okay. Very cool. <laughs> um, and then, you know, it doesn't hurt that it's on Netflix. So it's yeah. just there waiting for you whenever you, but there's been actually a lot of, this is a 2022 uh, release and it did come to theaters very briefly, and then I think Netflix somehow snatched it up. But I remember I think it was actually even here mm-hmm. in Hickory, North Carolina, for like a weekend, oh, wow. and then okay. disappeared. And I, you know, I didn't know, I didn't know what it was, hadn't heard anything about it. But there's been a lot of a lot of critics are championing this film as being you know a lot of fun to watch. And um, so I, if you have Netflix, you might check it out if you want something <laughs> that'll. Definitely, uh, you know, give you some – maybe it's a rainy Saturday afternoon. You're like, ah, oh, there's nothing on TV. This will give you three hours of entertainment. And I, I, I thought it was. And, yeah, is it a perfect film? No. But it's just – it's so lovingly made and mm-hmm. a celebration of movies and of musicals, too, and of that type of film that – of the Bollywood-type film. Um, I, I really enjoyed it. So that's R, R, R. Right, the three-letter R's. On, yeah. And it's on Netflix.
1: On no, Netflix. All and right. And actually,
2: even after it was on Netflix, it kind of came back and had some screenings at like Alamo Drafthouse or at IMAX presentation, like because people like this film so much and wanted to see it on a big screen. Wow. So there's a chance in your town if you live Could in a be bigger city. special screenings. Of yeah. It. And you might want to go see it that way. Mm. So,
1: No, this was on my list to check out. So I'm glad to hear your recommendation on it. So that is good. RRR, available on Netflix and possibly in a movie theater near you if you live in a some select cities where it's coming back for special engagements. So, all right, I was really curious about that. I've heard some good talk about it, so thank you for that recommendation, Chris. Okay, so while you're choosing to watch RRR, <laughs> which we are recommending, um I'm asking you to actively not watch a particular film.
2: So, I guess since mine is longer than a typical film, you're save, we're not recommending two films and that way we're saving them time because you're like, you know what? The extra time you may spend on RRR not a problem because I'm going to tell you a film that you can save time. Yes.
1: By not watching. That's a good point. Okay. And this film unfortunately was also like two hours and 15 minutes, which uh, was way, way too long for it. <laughs> okay. um, here's my thing. And I'm asking this as a plea. Okay. This is to my audience out there, to our audience listening. This is a plea for me. I, I, I feel like I try with film directors to give them a chance, okay um, there are some directors I do not think are good film directors or, or, or know how to make a really good movie, but I still give them a shot, especially when I hear of a project and I think, oh it's got some interesting people attached to it. Oh maybe this is the project where they're going to kind of come around and really turn bring me back into the fold a little bit hmm. okay. and uh, i was I was getting I was together with some friends and we were trying to pick out a movie to watch. And this is, you know, all guys We're we're, we're okay with some just dumb action movies. Sometimes we just like <laughs> ones with action and adventure in it and just yeah, something to kind of watch and enjoy as a group. Okay. And we ended up watching this film.
2: I cannot wait to hear what this oh, is. I, I've
1: seen your letterboxd review. So you're going to be right on board with me on <laughs> okay. this one. Um, Michael Bay.
2: I know who he is.
1: Yes, and you know oh. his latest film.
2: Oh, wow.
1: So I tried. Michael Bay, I tried <laughs> to watch this film. Okay. Uh, Michael Bay, who's done, he has done some interesting films in the past. I mean, The Rock. Uh, I, I'm i one of the guys who actually thought Armageddon was a fun, <laughs> enjoyable film. There's a whole debate we could get into about oh, Armageddon. But, but since about that point, I don't think there's anything I've seen of his that has worked for me at all, especially those <laughs> Freaking transformer movies. I just cannot do them at all. So when I hear that the film ambulance is coming out by Michael Bay, I'm like, Oh boy. Okay. But then I look, Oh, Jake Gyllenhaal's on it. Ah, interesting. Okay. Now you also tell me that Yaha Abdul Mateen, who I really liked from, uh, the Watchmen, the new Watchmen series on HBO. Um, he's doing some really interesting projects, got some great things coming up. He was in the new Matrix movie. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, all right, maybe, maybe this is, this is not based on a franchise. This is not based on any kind of like intellectual property. I'm like, they're just right, trying to make an action, trying to make an action movie. I'm like, all right. So me and the guys that we decided to watch, were like, oh yeah, we'll give this a shot. Um, I am asking the general public, please do not watch this movie because all this is doing is giving Michael Bay more credence to make more movies like this. Now, the good news is, is that this thing tanked at the box office. That's good. Okay. (laughs) I want this to tank. Look, I feel bad for anybody who was in production on this, who like worked, you know, any other role on a production. I'm sorry, because I know this is your livelihood. This is you're making movies. You're getting paid to make these movies. I never want to say I want a film to fail. Right. I just want Michael Bay to stop making these movies. That's all I'm asking for. He doesn't have to it,
2: stop making movies. Just, no, no. Stop making just stop making movies of these movies. Gotcha. Right.
1: Cause this is basically, it was a transformers movie without robots. It was nothing but fast cut explosions and chases to where it was mind numbing after about 30 or 45 minutes. I'm just, we're watching our watch saying how much longer is this thing going to go on? Um, I'll give them the only positive I'll give him I mean, Jake Gyllenhaal seemed to be having a blast doing this because <laughs> he just <laughs> overacted like crazy throughout the entire film. Sure. Um, but man, this was a chore. It was an absolute chore to watch. And I, and if you had told me, okay, I'll even just say the, the plot line is two robbers steal an ambulance after their heist goes awry. So they're robbers, but at the course of a robbery that goes bad, they have to t- commandeer an ambulance and they're spending the rest of the film in the ambulance with the girl who was already in the ambulance right. to begin with. She's
2: like a tech or yeah, whatever. Yeah. yeah.
1: And that's the film medic. That's it's really cool. what happens. There's nothing else that happens, Mm-mm. but there are so many explosions, so much just want and destruction and action that it was just, it's just mind numbing <laughs> and the freaking aerial drone footage yes. just got overused, ridiculous. Yes. So anyway, I'm asking people, please, can, we need to stop this. This is like <laughs> something our nation needs to come together on. Okay. I think we can do this. <laughs> A visible sign needs to be sent to Michael Bay that we do not want any more of these movies. So please stop. That is my plea to you. That is my recommendation. Got you. To not watch this movie and to help us send the right message out there. So. Fair enough, Chris. You saw this movie. I saw your Letterbox rating. It was a one star. It, it was. I know you did not like this film either. So. No,
2: I yeah, and it, it's I and I, I saw it in the theater, and I oh really boy. actively did. You kind of get pulled it.
1: in a little bit, maybe, maybe thinking that this might be kind of a a, a, a better Michael, Michael Bay film, or because of the actors or anything. Yeah, because or what? it's
2: it's weird. Well, I do like both of the actors involved, and it seems like maybe preemptively before I went to go see it. Some people were really excited saying it was like a fun action. movie. But then it's like, well, the there, was, a- <laughs> there was the slightest little bit of critical, Hey, this isn't that bad. And then all of a sudden it was like the tidal wave of no, this thing's awful.
1: So, well, I I mean, but you look online on the ratings, I mean, they're still not bad for it, mm. which is what's just surprised me. Is like, there were some re- uh, reviewers giving it, you know, three stars out of five. I'm like, I do not get that at all. This, this <laughs> did nothing at all for me. Sure. Um, it was just so, I mean, oh, mind numbing is the only word I could use for it. It's yes. just, I, honestly, when I'm 45 minutes into a movie and I'm bored, yeah. bored with a movie like this, and right. I know there's still an hour and a half left.
2: Because you know there's nothing original that's going to be happening. There's nothing like...
1: And nothing does happen. The
2: plot points aren't very interesting. It's just driving, 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 running around, yeah. dodging bullets. It
1: really, just, nothing happens. I mean, no. now you tell me a movie like Speed, which is you know kind of the idea of they're all kind of confined in this bus and they have, it's a, it's a constant like race against time, but yet that was interesting. It's compelling. It's more fun to watch, but yet you watch this and it's just, I got nothing. (laughs) Plus they really made hardly any of the characters. Likeable. Well, there's that. So even the two, the two leads were, we're supposed to like one of them better than the other. Right. But they both have things that you you don't like about them. And especially the one character that goes, I think completely off the rails (laughs) villainy by the end. I mean, it's just, it's just too much. It was absolutely too much. So so my negative recommendation is the film ambulance, I'm not even going to tell you where it's playing cuz I don't want you to see it. <laughs> so I'm not going to tell you. I if, if you're okay. honestly after hearing me talk about it saying, "No, I definitely want to watch this." Okay, you're going to have to go out and find it where it is cuz I'm not you're going telling to have you. Search actively I'm not me. going to actively tell you where this is. Fair so, enough. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So that is our show for today. We talked about the film Hustle, which we both liked, um, with some reservations, but overall I thought it was an enjoyable film. Kind of the same with The Duke, another film that I thought was Fine, enjoyable. Chris liked even more than I did, but uh, worth some time to explore and, and enjoy, if it sounds like your cup of tea. Uh, we talked about a couple of interesting projects underway. Maestro, starring Bradley Cooper, also directing the film The uh, Life of Leonard Bernstein. And then uh, a sequel to Joker uh, is going to be done by Todd Phillips, starring Mr. Joaquin Phoenix. And then, of course, his review or his recommendation of RRR on Netflix my anti-recommendation of ambulance, <laughs> which, uh, hopefully is nowhere. So, all right. <laughs> wow. That is the end of our show for today. Chris, uh, people want to join in the conversation. How can they do that?
2: You can send an email to info at footcandle.org to tell Alan how amazing you actually thought ambulance was if you choose to do so. Um, but he would strongly recommend you not yes, <laughs> or not uh, see it. Um, you can also follow us on Twitter at Foot Candle Film. Al and I are on Letterboxd, where we try to track things we're seeing and sometimes leave short reviews. Uh, do us a favor. Uh, if you like our show, consider giving us a star rating or write a review. Share with your friends on whatever service you receive your favorite podcast from. It'll help us reach new listeners, and we'd appreciate it. Last but not least, I gotta remind you guys that the Foot Candle Film Festival will be coming September 21st through the 25th. To uh, Hickory, North Carolina. If you can't make it to Hickory for the festival, we will be streaming films online for those located in North Carolina.
1: So. All right, that's great. That's how you can get a hold of us. We do encourage you to do that, and hope to see you at the festival this coming fall, as well in September. So, with that, we're going to go ahead and wrap up the, uh, the 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 show here. Thanks to everybody for listening. Chris, take care. We'll talk to you next time.
2: All right. See you in the ticket line.